Hello, everyone, and welcome to Babylonia Media and our very first podcast series, The Entrepreneur's Experience. When they're starting off on their journey, entrepreneurs love being surrounded by other creative and energetic people working in flexible workspaces. So it's very appropriate that this series is sponsored by SpaceMade. SpaceMade transforms buildings to create enjoyable and immersive working spaces for entrepreneurs and remote workers alike. We in Babylonia have a space at one of the locations and have found it a great environment to work in. SpaceMade has accessible workspaces throughout the UK. Check them out at www.spacemade.co. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to Babylonia Media. This is Entrepreneur's Experience Episode 3 with Navid Salimian. I said that right? You got it right. Thank first you very time. much. Um, we're here at Claudio Lugli, uh, should we call it the fashion house or the warehouse? What we, we can call, call it? it the showroom. Why the not? showroom, the showroom, exactly. Uh, just a quick brief on uh, Claudio Lugli as a whole. You're in uh, 300 stores in the UK, is that correct? You are um, the director of the company and, and mainly involved in the marketing side? Yeah, I'd say my proficiency is mainly on the mar- marketing and the digital marketing, okay. i say. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And then obviously you started really getting involved around, what, five, six years ago, is that right? When uh, This is one of the bits I found really interesting about the story. It was you essentially just heard, overheard your dad talking mm-hmm. and he'd obviously had a history in a, a boutique sort of high street store is that right Correct, for about yeah. 25 years yeah, yeah. and you sort of overheard him thinking what well, we maybe have to maybe have to take this down is, is uh, sorry Correct. not take this down shut down the shop mm-hmm. um i found that so interesting and the fact that you came in and immediately made an impact and especially in a family business where it's quite tricky as it is anyway 100%. i thought it was i thought it was really really awesome that you did that so could you tell me first just, well, sorry tell the audience in fact how how did that? How did that start? And, and maybe in more detail, what what you overheard about your dad's conversation with sure. I think, was it with your mum at the time? Yeah, I mean, just to give some some context to that story, my, my dad has been in the rag trade for almost forty years, that's four decades in the fashion industry, and he basically has a, had a strong belief in the in the high street. So we had seven stores dotted over London from. Um, Walthamstow to Woodgreen to Kensington, all throughout my childhood. So I've only grown up in the retail environment. But, um, but just sorry to cut you off there, but it, that wasn't Claudio Lugli, was it? That was more different different brands. That's right. Within? Okay, fine. So today's men's collection was the name of the stores. It was called Go To, and Claudio mm. Lugli was like a passion project of my father's that he was developing whilst running the stores. Um, what we found was buyer behavior started to change, the economic situation started to change, people weren't shopping on the high street, moving online. It was almost like the creative destruction of that particular industry. But my dad was so tunnel vision with the actual brick and mortar side that he didn't realize that the whole digital landscape was changing for not only fashion, but various other industries. I was working in film and music prior to even working in fashion. Right, if you'd okay. asked me, did I want to work with my family going into, you know, turning 24, 25, I would have said to you, hell no. But because there was a need for change and, and it's your family business, it's what you, um, it's all the good things that happened in my life came through my parents' business. So it was only right that I could give back and I had um, a set of skills like Liam Neeson and uh, I thought I'd come through and help them out. Okay, fine. Um, so th- that was about six years ago, am I right? That's right. Okay. And... Before that, you said you were doing film, music. Those are two industries you were in before. I honed my craft uh, whilst working in film and music because they're both very innovative industries. I was doing a lot of social media management, a lot of digital marketing, and and I had so you had a good grasp on it, I guess. Hundred percent. I, I learned from two major record labels, Sony and Universal. I worked in a small independent film company with not that much of a, a budget when it came to certain 
campaign, so I learned about guerrilla marketing. Shout out to Vertigo Films, <laughs> taught me everything I know. Okay. Cool. Um, so basically, I thought I can apply the same transferable skills from fashion and film, from from film and music into fashion. Okay. I I, uh, I read a story when I was doing my research that you essentially really caught on to the idea of of was it social media marketing or marketing in general, but social media marketing when you basically bought a pair of jeans in the space of 20 seconds. Is, is that correct? Well, that, that story is actually um, how I basically found out about remarketing, which is something that was, is, is a campaign that I started to use for Claudio, which is um, the best way I can describe this is have you ever been on a website browsing for something on your lunch break? You drop down the menu and go back to doing your work and suddenly these ads are popping up everywhere and you're like, how are these ads following me? I started to realize that this is something that I could really hone in on and use for my business. And um, it's a remarketing tool called AdRoll. And uh, I, I highly recommend that tool. I've used it for various campaigns. And it's a great way to get your brand remarketed for those that potentially are umming and ahhing or have dropped off completely. Okay. It brings them back. Okay. And I, again, I think a different article, but you mentioned that the first time you did that uh, for, for Claudio Lugdi, that was really where you saw a massive increase in sales and that yeah. sort of proved the point to obviously your family uh, family business as a whole. Am, am I right in thinking that was 27 times return on investment? Is that okay. correct? Yeah, so I had one campaign that kind of um, was almost a hero campaign for not only AdRoll but for myself, um, touching upon trying to convince your father who's from the old school and you, you think you know you, that you define yourself as coming from the new school on the digital side, trying to explain to him that putting your money into intangible investments and trying to get a return on, on that investment, uh, why would your dad say, okay, cool, well, I'm going to toss you this much money when he's used to paying for a, a trade stand and then selling the garments straight to the people, whereas on digital marketing, sometimes you don't even, you can't actually touch what you're working with, whether it's a Facebook ad, Instagram, retargeting with ad roll. These are things that are intangible, and you can only hope and pray for the results in most cases. But... If you believe in the targeted campaign that you're doing, if you've optimized it, you've got the good creative, you've got good product and service, and you can deliver on your end, that's what I believed in. And I had to actually invest myself to show the return to my dad to be like, see, now do you believe, do you know? Okay, so when, when they mentioned the 27 times ROI, is that essentially off the back of that, then the income came through through all the different channels. Yeah, I kind of cheated the system a bit. I'll keep it okay. real. It was Black Friday. <laughs> I invested 1.5 of my own money um, yeah. into a remarketing campaign. Basically, I was firing out sales and email marketing to over 25,000 people. Sure. Now, if I drive those 25,000 people to my website, they get hit with this pixel and they land on it and eventually they start getting remarketed to. So 25,000 people or they're in and about we're starting to get these ad roll messages that different creatives were popping up across Instagram, Facebook ads, different web browsers, and suddenly Claudio is everywhere. So then, naturally, because it's an incentive, it's Black Friday, 25% off everything, buy, buy, buy. They're, you know, they're tempted by the financial incentive. They click through, and thus the campaign's successful. We're getting more sales, and um, they kind of hallmark that campaign and I, I did a lot of work with them closely after that okay and, and nowadays obviously you can track all of that anyway pretty much correct where the sales are coming from even even to, to the extent of the demographics is that correct yeah big time which was really useful useful to you in the early days because obviously I guess you've gone from a high street situation to to this and you're really trying to find find a new market on the point of Claudio Lugli actually 
I I remember reading that your father trained under him. Is that, is that right? Well, and because uh, he, he was a tailor, tailor yes. for six years under this guy in Brescia, Italy, which which is fascinating as it is, and that's where he sort of learned his trade. And it's so interesting to see that that is the foundation of this, even though. By the sounds of things, you had Claudio Lugli in your stores pre to Claudio Lugli as a brand, mm-hmm. but but I think I got the impression you really took it to the forefront, obviously, and said look, this brand in particular was 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 really interesting. So I'd say, firstly, clarify a bit about what the story is behind your father and Claudio yeah, Lugli, sure. and then secondly, why 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 Claudio Lugli in particular? Why did you think that was going to work? Mm-hmm. Um, Claudio Lugli is is a gentleman that exists. He's in his late 70s, he's in Brescia in Italy. My dad actually, he's a student of the game, my dad. 40 years in the, in the industry, he wants to, he's constantly still fascinated about fabric, about detail, color combinations, patterns and prints. So he's constantly on this search to find the best template or the best fabrics. And on his journey, he went to Italy, as you should when you're, when you're learning to be a tailor or designer, came across this really innovative designer called Claudio. And he was known for doing multiple uh, collars, single collar, double collar, triple collar, and that's that was really innovative back then. That was really cutting edge, and he really. And how long ago was this? This is spanning back over twenty five years. Right. Okay. So right. my dad has had lots of different aliases over time. You know, un- uh, uh, Claudio Lugli, Stamp London, Today's Men's Collection, Go To. Claudio Lugli is the embodiment of basically injecting life and color and and um, creativity into the into the garments and. It's all about being unapologetically daring with the designs. And I think my dad, when he met Claudio, took that idea of dare to be different with the collars and kind of took it completely somewhere else. It was cooking up whilst he had his shops, but it wasn't at the forefront at all. I sat down with him and said, this is such an incredible collection that people need to see this in the windows of the world, which is the internet. Not just on the high yeah, streets I, of Woodgreen. I, I love that phrase, or by Ken, the way. Or I love that phrase you yeah. said, the windows of the world mm. with the internet. I, again, when I was reading a lot of, doing my research anyway, that was one of the, that alongside the, I think you said once, you know, hate, hate, it, hate it or love it, but you can't, can't ignore, ignore it. it. Yeah. And those two things really resonate um, with, with what you're talking about. Um, talking about your, your father, just to, just to finish that part, I feel when you, you got involved in the business, you felt that, because he, he's, a, like you said, he's old school, he's a tailor, and that's really, really what you, what, what you want him to worry about. So how was that dynamic coming to him and saying that, first of all? And, and, then, and has it been quite easy and then it's just developed? And because obviously you've really taken your responsibility very well, mm-hmm. is it, has, has it been quite a surprising, like, easy, easy route on, on that front? And what I mean by that is the family business as a whole. Sure. So imagine being in my dad's position, yeah. Playing in his best position is actually just designing, going out, touching the fabric, trying to combine different color combinations, working on the details. That's where his his passion lies. But yet he has to be the accountant, micromanaging the shops, doing the trade stands. It's it's taking on too much. I feel like the way that myself and my brother and the team here have stepped in have allowed him to go and do what he does best, and that's design. Imagine he's giving me the ammunition and I'm shooting the gun, essentially. I'm the record label, he's the singer. He's the talent, I'm just making people aware of it and doing justice to what he set out to do. So without him, there's no me, without me, there's no Claudio in this particular instance. I don't know if he would have had the mileage because I don't know if we would have had the engagement. I think opening it up digitally and saying, let's step off the high street for a bit. That wasn't an easy conversation. The shop was older than me at the time. 
right? Okay. So, <laughs> as you can imagine, like he he's a risk taker, my dad, and you have to be when you're when you work in business. You've got to take educated risks, and that's when I talk about those investments in marketing. You have to really invest and speculate to accumulate, because otherwise, it's you could be stagnant or you get snobby and think, well, it should sell anyway. People should come to my site. No, you've got to go out and get it. Um, on the point of the high street, just touching back on that. Um, what do you think about the high street in general, in the sense of you made the move, I'd say, quite early uh, at a really good time and realised that there wasn't great sort of scope in it. Do you see much of a future? I know that it's quite a hot topic at the moment about what can we do with high streets and so on and so forth. Do you ever see yourself going back into the high street, number one, as far as being, I know you obviously, like we said, you're stocked in, stocked in stores, mm -hmm. but do you actually see yourself doing your own shops like you did, like your father did for 25 years? Um, and then just maybe your general overview of of the high street as a whole. It is the ultimate love-hate relationship, like for my personal situation and our business and our brand. We had to come off the high street in order to go back on it. And the way we did that was through supplying those shops. We had 300 plus shops stocked in the UK pre and post pandemic. We're so lucky that there has been a little bit of uh, a resurgence. But my only worry is that it's the small independent retailers. Those are the people that are the lifeline of our business. They're the ones that do the actual guerrilla marketing. They might find Claudio first in a shop in Reading and then come onto our website and then become a loyal customer. We need the high street to be filled with small independent retailers as well as the big brands and big chains. But throughout this pandemic, we're hearing the likes of Nike, the likes of Zara, all closing their flagship stores in the thousands. Which, so which, which then worries you for the... For the smaller stores, you think there's or potentially, very little if you think about it, there might be a full circle where suddenly the big brands have left the high streets and the small independents are coming back. There could be that resurgence, but um, I don't know. So you're, I guess, cautiously optimistic, but you're not too excited because who who knows? It's very up in the air. The future is completely right uncertain, now, especially right now, especially with the pandemic. However, I feel like there is a lot of hope because if you incentivize where through government schemes or landlords are actually helping those small independents to come onto the high street and take a risk and set up their businesses, then they can thrive like we did. But because the rent is too damn high, man. So, but that's why our overheads were crazy in the last six to seven years um, before we made the change, because it was hard to, to have the good turnover and just rely solely on one store. That's why you have shops like the Nike chains or Zara chains that are potentially lost leaders, but they just have to be in that particular area. Yeah, the sort of landmark destinations. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. Um, let's go a bit into the COVID situation. I don't think we should overdo it, but I guess how's it been? And and any big shockers in regards to did you do better than you expected? And, you know, anything that was, I guess, disappointing with regards to did you have to, was it, did you have to lean out, lean out your company as a whole or anything like that? It's been a massive learning curve, man. I had to send everyone home at one point. It was just me and my brother here. Uh, we sent everyone home to, to be able to, they could work from home, our designers. Um, and um, the sales were stagnant for two months between March and April because people were locked down. They couldn't go out. Events were, were lock off. You couldn't go to weddings. Um, and obviously that's a big market for you. Big time. Uh, another big aspect of our business is the trade shows. We do th over 35 exhibitions. We go to the Burley Horse Trials or the Silverstone Classic, and we meet thousands of people in those weekenders that have never met Claudio or come across the brand, but yet 
we're there, they're there, we've got our car prints or our equestrian prints or whatever garments we've taken with us, but they have an opportunity to meet the brand in the flesh. That whole aspect of our business was, again, taken away. And, so and are, are you, are we in a better situation now or do you think it's a good six months before you really start to get to peak output again? We had to re-strategize completely. We, um, we started to develop uh, printed face masks. We started to push our short sleeves. We had to really think about what we could sell at this present moment. Uh, but also, how do you communicate to your customers? You have to tell them, look, we're still open for business. Here's a 15% code all the way through the pandemic. It's the Unite code. So if you use Unite, you get 15% off. Uh, that ended in September, but we had that running all the way through. We had to find a way to re-engage our customers and let them know we're still here. We're still doing next day delivery. So if you still want to buy a shirt, we're going to give you a little bit of a financial incentive because I know tough times are tough for you and times are tough for us. So we met in the middle and we were very, very respectable. But it's, um, it's not what it used to be. Let's of course, of course. Um, just shifting a bit towards the sort of general marketing campaigns that you've done and I forgot to mention at the start but I'll just reiterate it now you've had great celebrity endorsements you obviously have this famous one with Tyson Fury you did a few suits for Conor McGregor mm-hmm. um, and then the, you know the list goes on you've got Ainsley Harrier uh, Alan Carr and and so on and so forth how 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 big has that been in, in the overall picture of the company and was it quite because I know I know the, the whole Tyson Fury situation was essentially a call out the blue. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and since then, it's just been a f- sort of flowering relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what was the experience like first meet, meeting him? And, and was there any reason why you got that call or was it completely out the blue? So I had worked with various different boxers. I've worked with um, combat sports fighters in the UFC. Um, it was Anthony Crawler, Amir Khan, Tony Bellew that put us on the map. Um, when they were doing their fights and wearing our garments. And I think someone, as a mutual connection, must have seen those looks. Conor McGregor was at that similar period. And this was very early on in his career. Very much so. And he also was uh, basically communicated, someone communicated this to Tyson and thought, this is the brand for you. But I initially remember what they sent me to go along with this telephone call. The phone call was, do you know who Tyson Fury is? I responded, yes, the Gypsy King. Will you be interested in styling him? 100%. When can I do this? You need to drive to Lancaster at midday tomorrow. That's a six-hour drive. Right. I don't even know if it's going to fit. I don't even know if he's going to like it. And I had no expectations, but I'll tell you what I got sent. I got sent a picture of Tyson wearing a blue polo top, Slazenger socks, tracksuit bottoms, and um, trainers, standing next to Klitschko in the Dusseldorf Arena, and... He's got all the belts around his arms, three-piece, looking presidential. And I'm thinking, oh, God, like, nah, this is a blank canvas here. But um, let's see what happens. Yeah, good, because there was good a blank stark, canvas, te- technically, yeah. maybe. Technically, yeah, yeah but yeah. also, I'm known for prints, that maybe he likes plain. We'll take everything. We go, we'll take wherever we can, we'll go. I drove six hours to, to Morecambe. Uh, I, was, I went into his house. He was out at the time. His, his wife, Paris, made me a, a coffee, which I didn't even touch. I was, n- I was so nervous. <laughs> he comes in, boom, door opens, under the door frame, six foot nine, 215 centimeter wingspan, 
I'm like, that jacket is not going to fit. <laughs> but we're going to roll with it. So I got him to wear this three-piece Czech grey suit with the burgundy stripes, bowl cut. And um, obviously, the sleeve length is halfway up the arm. I'm sweating. Um, and he grabs the lapels and is like, I like it. Can you fix the sleeves? <laughs> Big sigh of relief. I'm in the car, ready to rumble. Wh- which suit was this, by the way? This is the one that he's worn on two occasions. He wears it in the famous press conference with Vladimir Klitschko where he comes in as Batman. So this is another funny story, yeah? Oh, yeah, because then he did the Bruce Wayne afterwards. Right. Right, okay, so that's, that's the suit. I've okay, gone back. I, he told me, me, bring the suit to me at my press conference. I've never been to a boxing press conference. I'm so on this. I arrive with the garments. I hand deliver it to him. He, I take my seat. World's Press is there. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I think it was Sky Sports and Eddie Hearn. So I, I, I was so excited to be in the arena watching. He comes in in a Batman suit, sits down. All this antics take place. A Joker runs in. He takes out the Joker. It's all fun and games, but I'm thinking, yeah, but where's the suit? <laughs> right? I like lean over, tap his wife on the, on the shoulder. I was like, uh, Paris, excuse me, do you know where the suit is? She's like, I have no idea. I had no idea he's even wearing a Batman outfit. <laughs> So obviously, he leaves, comes back as Bruce Wayne, and uh, yeah, happy days. You know, I, I, we haven't looked back since. It's been that that was a big kickoff for your brand in general, big time. Tyson. Do you do you wonder? I guess you don't wonder. I guess you know, and I'd just like to know more about it. But you obviously have a particular resonance with the fight game. I guess um, I know they really want to stand out and really make a presence. So that correlation is has been there from the start. Is, do you want to elaborate on why you think it's really really stuck with the fight game? I'm surprised as anybody else, you know. Um, why do they want to stand out? Why do they want to be statement pieces? Um, most of them tend to come in wearing tracksuit bottoms into the weigh-in, but Tyson, Amir Khan, Conor McGregor... Conor definitely also pushed push that out there. He very much to, so. He wanted to really present himself and, and, and feel good. I think the entertainment aspect really comes into play here. When Tyson's wearing a printed suit going to Vegas and the printed suit says, you big dosser, yeah. you know, <laughs> That grabs the attention that buy, that potentially might sell more tickets. It might also put Deontay off by one percent. So I feel like I'm doing my job in purely creating outlandish garments that might not only affect the opponent's psyche, but if Tyson feels good wearing it, that's all that really matters. Yeah, you, you think it really fits with the whole sort of regal mentality of being a champ. Yeah, yeah, that that totally makes sense. Um, so yeah, sorry, Navid. So let's talk about the two lines that you have, one with Tyson Fury and one with the WWE franchise. Mm -hmm. I remember you saying when we had a chat a few times before that you didn't really expect the WWE franchise one to happen in particular. And it's so interesting that obviously we went to school together, (laughs) but I remember you being very into wrestling as a whole. A hundred percent. It's it's funny how the world works in that sense. Tell tell us how that came about and, and how long it's been happening. The Tyson relationship felt really, really natural. It only felt right that people wanted to emulate what Tyson's wearing, and it felt good to be able to do a Gypsy King collection for Tyson, which we're going to drop probably at the end of the year when a fight is announced. But people want to emulate Tyson. Everyone wants a piece of the Gypsy King, and and they want to dress like him, and and we're here to give you uh, that option. Um, I think we've made such an impact and statement with all the different suits that he's worn. Um, They all tell a story, and... They're almost a story of his life, and he has got such a fascinating life. So 
and it's and it's still unraveling this this story and we're continually putting out garments that actually reflect this, what's happening in real life and up to this date we've got every single suit made into a shirt for the fans to purchase tbc you know okay but with the wwe i'm a, a childhood fan um when you have the likes of a tyson as your client you can walk into an, a meeting with your chest out so to speak um they had seen our work there was also a synergy because tyson was also doing a wwe show whilst wearing our suits i think that did help so, so that was the timing aspect yes. that was when it, yes. when it happened very okay. much so i think that helped a lot and to be able to work with such a global powerhouse like the wwe you know one of the longest running episodic tv shows is monday night raw and to be able to have them help co-promote our merchandise and for us to be able to put our own spin and for me to have my you know ho a hobby and interests of mine work with my career it's it's even it's even better have have you seen a massive increase in sales us wise because of, because of it i think because of both tyson uh, both the wwe and also we do size 6xl yeah i wanted to touch know. on that actually um has that been as a result of the tyson situation obviously you've got these massive guys saying okay if it fits him it's definitely going to fit me and that seems to be quite a big part of your market now. Um, why why 6XL, I guess? So, um, plus-size fashion is something that we've, my dad vehemently believes in. Um, people don't come, people come in all shapes and sizes. You go into the high street and you may go up to a double XL at most. Some of my best clients are double XL and up. The 6XL and 5XL situation is is very unique to us because the patterned shirts, uh, the printed pieces, you don't necessarily see this type of fashion in those sizes, and that's why I think we're so fully equipped to go and hit this North American market when the timing is right, when maybe when the whole economic and global situation changes. I'd love to go and explore that side of the world because they are, they are bigger on that side, and we w can accommodate that. And um, offering a 5 to 6 XL really does open up a whole different market. As we started in menswear, we also provide women's wear. For the longest time, we isolated 50% of the, the market. And I feel people of all shapes and sizes should be able to choose um, whatever fashions they'd like to wear. And we how, provide those options. How long has the ladies' side been going? It's still very embryonic. We're still coming to terms with how to present it. It's only about two to three years old. Uh, we're still working on the cuts of the uh, the jackets, the cuts um, of the of the shirts. It's a lot of menswear orientated decision making that was taking place before we started our women's wear. We had to hire in female designers. We had to make changes internally to be able to not only communicate our new designs but to get the fit right. It's not easy. Yeah, <laughs> women's wear is so imagine. tough. And well, so you're 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 now. Is it is it even a big indent in your market yet or you're just in a, I'd say the development phase like you said embryonic to some it's some very extent. very much so in in the development phase a lot of people they like the idea of the his and hers prints and shirts and jackets but we also have uh, independent retailers that stock solely our women's wear so there is a market for it and obviously we have the same mantra when it comes to the printed items the injecting a little bit of life and personality to the shirts we're quite unique there's not too many other businesses that solely work on print and when it comes to blouses or shirts. So I guess we are a little bit niche, but I feel like there's a lot of development that needs to take place for it to get to where I feel like our menswear is, where we have a solid template. Absolutely, absolutely. And 
it at the moment on the lady side it is essentially what just sort of smart blazers and, and blouses that sort of thing it's blazers and blouses and we're, we're trying to go into um s- women's suits which i think is is a, is a cool market to do some very very vibrant colors on the trousers the waistcoats and jackets but well, that's yeah, i would, I would assume also on, t- on that point in general it's quite plain colors for, for the ladies market there so you're Correct. obviously you're offering something new on that aspect okay um talk to us a bit more on that point about your so so when you really pushed Claudio Lugli, it was very much a case of, I think at the time anyway, and I'm no fashion expert, although I am wearing full <laughs> Claudio Lugli today. And uh, thank you for in that. In case Navid. you haven't noticed. Yeah, in case you haven't noticed already. But at the time, I wouldn't say, I w- didn't get the impression that the, the particularly colourful, loud, sort of audacious, ambitious clothing that you create was really a, a big thing that was g- going on at the time. It was very much people were into quite particularly tight cuts, I'd say, and quite clean. Why, why uh, maybe it's an obvious question, but why did you feel that it was g- the need for, for what you've got now? Yeah, I love that you touched on that. That's something that my dad said to me very, very early on. And he was like, the menswear industry is so boring. Look at the way you dress. <laughs> I'm wearing black, grey, white. Okay. In okay. different combinations. And, and he's right. He's totally right. And even now you still see it. Uh, but, but yeah, sorry, sorry. Karen, so he wants just, to I think he's bang on he about He basically that. wants to jazz up a, a, a seemingly dry menswear industry. You go to, these are established brands, very, very successful, the likes of a TM Lewin or Hawes and Curtis, where you get four plain shirts for £100, £120. You get your blue, you get your white, you get your navy, your black, and then rotate. We wanted to completely come in and essentially create a print rebellion, inject some personality into this place. Um, all of the fashions that we create here is our own ideas. We don't follow anyone. We kind Which of we have on display here, by yeah. the way, guys, in case you didn't notice. <laughs> we're inspired by the places that we go, people that we meet. If we deem something cool, we go for it. We do things in limited numbers. The idea is that we don't want you to bump into someone at a party wearing the same superhero shirt. I mean, that would be tragic. The idea is that you are unique, you stand out, and it's, and it's very much a dare-to-be-different situation. And that's why we keep our numbers limited. And if you really buy into the mantra of the brand, it almost becomes like a collector's item. You want to have the different shirts to match the different occasion. Hence why you, you do limited amounts on each, each collection. Mm-hmm. Just to, for the obvious reason that you don't want people, the classic story like you said, yeah. you don't want people to bump into someone with the same shirt. Right. And you just feel what that's a better way to, to place the product, I guess. It also keeps us on our toes. We have to constantly be creative because if you're only doing 32 to 40 pieces across nine sizes, it's not that many pieces per size, although we clunk up the sizes between XL and 3XL, with there being less on the 6XL and small. Um, it allows us to constantly drive our innovation to be creative, to be ahead of the game, um, and provide something unique, because there's only so much floral prints you can do. There's only so much check and stripe. Um, we have so much fun with, with our designs. It really, really is a pleasure to be able to sit down and just be creatively free I, I i was thinking that your process and i'd love to hear a bit more about this but your process of starting these these lines and like you said you've got the superhero one here could you could you tell us more about how that how that really starts obviously you have a foundation of idea of an idea but any examples of, re- of a really interesting process yeah for sure um the phone rings it's the gypsy king all right mush we're gonna be in vegas we need to steal the show we got to get that dosser. So automatically now I'm thinking we have to go and do a, a really, really extravagant 
piece to steal the show. That's a lot of pressure. But at the same time, we thrive in that because now it's like, how do we exceed our own expectations? What do we have to do to set the benchmark? Vegas, Dossa. That's all I've got. (laughs) (laughs) So what do we do? We make a three-piece you big dosser with which is an homage to what McGregor wore against Floyd, which is the FU pinstripe. Wait, wait, did you do that one? Uh, no, I thought I, <laughs> I, in my head, in everyone thinks you, you you did. I, I was I was thinking that when I was looking through through the whole you know the history of, of the company. It, yeah, yeah, claim it all day because <laughs> obviously you've done suits for him. But I think a lot of people do actually nah, think that's you did the, fake that news, suit. But, um, the pr- creative process can be anything. We can talk right now and say, hey, um, Babylonia Media. You know how we how do we incorporate the you know the, the Babylon into the into by the, the way shirts. I'm I'm very up for that just just for the record we should do a Babylonian it suit. It takes six to eight weeks for no it problem. to arrive here and for you to be wearing it. We we all we do is we drive the creative through the digital means, whether it's Illustrator or Photoshop. We digitize the patterns. We get the off cut and the sample sent to us. If we're happy with the different colorways, all we do is we send it to our manufacturers. Satin and cotton blend. It arrives here with the exact template that my dad's honed in on. Why the superhero one? I'm a nerd, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know you're a wrestling nerd, but I didn't know you were a superhero nerd as well. um, The superhero um, market is something that's been, you know, skyrocketing and thriving. Uh, Look at DC, look at Marvel, look what they're doing with the amount of sequels and franchises. Why not tap into the superhero market? There's a lot of people that love comics and... um, you already know that there's someone that loves this show already. Absolutely. Because it's got all of their Absolutely. favorite superheroes on it. And, you know, we touched upon earlier, obviously, the passing of Chadwick Boseman. Who's yeah, I, I, Black I, Panther. I, I know we said that before we were recording, but I did want to mention that. Do you, do you want to tell us yeah, a bit Yeah, just, um, it's kind of like, we have all of these patterns and prints. And then it becomes, how do you then communicate to your customers and then drip feed these these garments at what time? When's the best time to drop it? When's the best time to release it? We tend to find seasonal themes. We tend to find sporting events. And with with the passing of Chadwick, it's like it's someone that insp- inspired a whole generation of kids and adults to actually believe they could do anything. Uh, we felt like, okay, cool. This is the right time to release the superhero print. And um, it just felt like an apt and appropriate time. Um, I think is, otherwise... Is it out yet? Or, or? This was released today. Okay. With the accompanying uh, face mask. Okay. Oh, re- oh really? Okay, <laughs> I had fine. to upsell it. Okay, fine. Tell us, just out of interest, have you sold a lot of face masks? Yeah. Yeah? I will say something, um, and I'll be very transparent about this. I put out an ad with all of these fun patterned face masks. It's a m- mask mandate at present. Wherever we go, in most cases, we have to wear a mask. So why not wear a personalized Fun pattern printed mask. Yeah, I think a lot of people are are starting to consider that. However, there's a lot of people online that are very anti the idea of this. And it was very... Of of masks as a whole or or printed masks? So I was was having to tend with these um, trolls online (laughs) across a lot of my campaigns. But the masks have been thoroughly, thoroughly successful. Um, I think it's putting a light spin on a really dark situation. Um, Yeah. The, the masks reflect the prints and patterns. You can coordinate it. It's something that obviously we want this situation to pass. But whilst it is this dark period, you can throw on a fun printed Do mask. It the right it's way. still an icebreaker. It's still a fun uh, accessory. Um, just a quick uh, sort of backtrack on the whole influencer market. How big is that for fashion in your opinion now? 
And I'd say influencer alongside general sort of social media marketing. Th- those combinations seem to be so effective. Are you? Do you personally believe that that's pretty much where you focus your whole market on? And that, is that what you've done personally? Or do you still s- see room for traditional, uh, should we say tr- traditional advertising? The reason why I ask that as well is because actually the episode before this, I was with a, with a guy who is very big in the social media marketing world and he doesn't see much room for much else, really. Uh, so, yeah, I guess what the point would be, do you, do you agree that it, it's pretty much the majority of the market now or do you see room for other bits? And how, how uh, integral has that been to you? It's, it's obvious on the Tyson Fury front, but, but in more depth? What else, oh, very, what else very, was going on? Very much on? so. I have a real uh, belief and passion towards the influencer marketing, but not so much just... I don't even like the phrase influencer marketing. I like th- the idea of collaboration. I don't want to be just sending someone some garments and then just get them to tag it one time and leave. That's not going to... Ha- it might have a really short impact, but I want to build long-lasting relationships, the likes that I have built with Tyson, with the WWE, with Ainsley, with... Um, Scott Nichols who I've made a Speedway collection with um, I want to create partnerships because um, th- these athletes these these influencers have an incredible but you're right maybe not to call it influencer and I think on top of that your immediate point about longevity is, is key which is why the collaboration aspect makes sense very much so because you want to build upon the partnership that you create they have unbelievable reach and engagement when it comes to their platforms and to be able to showcase your brand with said athlete or or actor or whatever industry that they're in, they're kind of lending a spotlight onto your brand. And if you can make that person feel comfortable and um, they want to work with you even more, you can actually start to develop more of a product portfolio and work closely with that person. And it's had a profound impact upon our business. Um, fans of Ainsley, fans of the Speedway, fans of boxing, fans of MMA, WWE, they're now... They now know about print fashion and Claudio. How and why? Because maybe their favorite wrestler or their favorite boxer is now wearing the brand. It can propel you to massive heights. Um, I feel like it has to be done correctly. I think we've spent enough time on social media and Instagram to see that every other post is teeth whitening or, or an paid energy pa- paid drink partnership or, or paid or partnership. You want to have whatever. the organic engagement where there's a realness there. It's not easy to achieve. Um, and in that sense, you've been quite lucky, I guess. Very and, much and, so. And I'm sure you feel very fortunate for that because you've actually got, like you said, people who are collaborating with you and, and that element of that person is a trusted human being who people will, will, will trust in, in something that they purchase. You have that trusted element between the person that's collaborating with you and, and, and the buyer, which, which must, must be huge. I believe we offered something different which is why I believe we build these relationships and why they come back and work with us because it's so unique and and almost it's a head-turning statement piece that the garments themselves offer almost a life of their own. People now ask me, what's he going to wear next? People are anticipating what that person's then going to wear next. If the garments become an embodiment of the personality, if you're able to project your personality through the clothing, it's like Superman's cape in some ways. It yep. kind of meshes well together. Yeah, hen- hence, hence the, f- the fighting aspect, I think. If people can really ref- reflect, reflect their personality and, and feel like a champion in it, it m- must make a big difference. Talk to us a little bit about 
longevity. Um, what's what's your plan at the moment, just in the next six months, as a reaction to COVID? I know we touched on it before, but the real solid future plans. And do you do you, do you have a a sort of five year plan of what you really want to do with the brand? Because obviously we talked longevity in in the collaborative sense, but what about for Claudio as a whole? The most important aspect of my business is our relationship with the customer. You can't undervalue how important it is to have a good communicative relationship with your customer base, your client base. We ensure that they have the next day delivery on time. We ensure that they have a platform to review us. We open ourselves up for reviews. Um, We respond to pretty much any request for a pattern or design and we take into account and there's so many instances where I can say where we've actually fulfilled those ideas. You have to fire on all cylinders when it comes to looking after your customers. And our promise to them is actually to keep continually putting out innovative, cutting-edge designs and um, increasing our product portfolio, whether it's adding the masks. Growing, essentially, is what we have to do, about doing it organically and in our own time. Um, I want to run, but Dad's kind of always going to keep that little leash on to be like, we're going to do it all at the right time. Because which you appreciate? That, that's the best learning curve that I've experienced because, you know, I'm dangerous with it. <laughs> I probably <laughs> you, li- you like to spend money. All you the like budget to spend money. Yeah, I yeah. Have, you know, look, um, the, the plan is to continue to grow within the UK, although we've kind of exhausted the retail aspect. However, we emu- want to emulate the likes of your Ted Bakers, the likes of Robert Graham, Thomas Pink established businesses you, like you this. see yourself in that in that sort of bracket but maybe maybe a touch more even flamboyant might be the word than them but it still fits with that sort of buyer i just want to be a staple of british fashion essentially i want people to think where am i going to get an awesome shirt from claudio lugli is within the top five you know ideas yeah, in like mind. if i feel like being particularly extravagant this is where yeah. i'm going to go ideally we want to make the brand a household name but there's so much work to be done I still think we're crawling when it comes to our menswear, even though I speak so highly about it. Um, the five-year plan is essentially to go and break the American market and give Claudio a more global appeal. Particularly on the, on the, the, larger, the, the larger sizes. Definitely. Just because it seems to fit with what you're doing right now. Because if you can get into the distribution supply chain of all the wholesalers out in America, we're talking 50 states, th- hundreds of thousands of different independent shops. That would be a dream to be able to take the brand there and actually watch it flourish. But I think um, as it stands, whilst we're still honing our craft and still trying to develop new products, we've got things like socks and underwear in the works. We're still working on um, our suits. So there's still ground that we want to cover within our own product, but we're, we're very much growing at a very manageable um, rate for ourselves. Um, there is no crazy... Um, immediate plans we're going to keep it's more of the same but it's also just to add to what we're already doing but um the relationship with the customers is something that we hold so key um i've created this one group which is something called spotted in claudio on facebook i initially invited 100 of our best customers into the group and i left it just because i wanted to see what the type of feedback loop would be i didn't want to moderate it i came back to the group and there's, I think, about 500 people in there at the time. They asked me to come and be a moderator. They're constantly posting up photos of themselves wearing the garments, suggestions, ideas. Um, 
what they want to see next. So that so that culture community uh, sorry community aspect yeah that seems to be a big big issue uh, not big issue but a big thing that people want within businesses in general right now is really really hitting your yeah. hitting your business as it's a whole. sitting at about 2,500 people at the moment wow. and they post every day and they're constantly communicating back to us we do it for them and we want to grow and cultivate that because it's and, and I and I guess guess with what you have it's even more of a reason to have a culture and a community because people want to show off their version or I've got this one that you don't have because it's limited right. edition or whatever it may be. Right. Wow. Exactly. That's awesome. And and when did you when did you start that Facebook group? Just out of interest. It's about three years ago. So okay. I, I, again, I'm a um, a big sneaker nerd as well, and I was in this group called the Basement where people used to help each other find releases or drops or resells. And I wanted to create that kind of environment where it's like, hey, I'm looking for this. Oh, I'll help you. Or that kind of yeah, feedback. Yeah. I get you. Right. I get you. And I never would have expected the group to take on a life of its own where they're having meetups, Manchester meetup, Manchester bar crawl, to the point where last November, 200 people requested that we had a party here for the people in the group. In, in the... Right here right in the here. showroom. <laughs> we cleared okay. out everything. Okay. We had DJs, caterers. We invited everyone within the group to come. Well, next time you have one, I'll, I'll come 100%. along. 100%. Thank you very much. <laughs> Um, sorry, carry on. So, so that kind of engagement with the customers, that, that real relationship where they now want to come and meet each other and also come within the, the HQ of the business, it really was something that had impacted me and I realized how important it is to have that communication with them and, and um, to use that opportunity to basically develop more within the range because it caters exactly for what your audience wants. Okay, very interesting. Um, I want to sort of, start a different topic or touch we touched on it again a little bit before but really go into it talk to me about a family business business di dynamic and the reason why i ask that is because hopefully we can help some of our listeners and viewers on this point i know i've heard every story under under the sun about oh you know this family business was doing so well it was thriving everyone's happy and then you've heard another version where it was great for a year and then it absolutely imploded now you're you're in a six-year, mm. uh, you're at your six-year anniversary, I guess. Yeah. Uh, what What would you say are the fundamentals to making that work when you've got to consider that we all know this that emotions do come into it? Yes, very much so. I'm I'm a very passionate Iranian. <laughs> <laughs> so is my dad. Um, so is my brother. So is my mum. We all have our opinions. We all think we are doing what's best for the business. My dad's got forty plus years of experience. I'm coming in and trying to say well, I think I can change the business because I know this and that because of my digital experience of only three to four years. I had already foreseen the digital map of where this business could go, but my dad must have been thinking, what on earth is he talking about? I've been in this for 40 years, day in, day out. I've seen everyone come and go. I've, I've, I've traveled, I, and he's trying to tell me how to run this business. This is crazy. So there were so many times where... I genuinely believed this particular campaign would be beneficial, but it might have been a little bit too much money. There might have been uh, instances where my dad wanted to take a risk but needed someone to back him at the time. There are times where we have vehemently disagreed completely about the business structure. How important are these trade events? Should we, um, should we invest more into the online sphere? Because this is a direction that's given us this new lease of life. Why are you breaking your back, Dad, and going to 35 exhibitions 
and coming home shattered. I know you love meeting the people, but you've you got to think about your own health, for example. These type of conversations can be very fiery and passionate, but this is a family unit. And at the end of the day, what are you doing? You're trying to do what's best for the family and for the business. If we win together, we win together. But if you lose together, you lose together. So uh, whatever happens, we're in it together. That's a beautiful thing, but it's also, again, yeah, it's tough. open it's tough. to having it's really, tough. really tumultuous times. But it all stems from love, but it also stems from doing justice to the product. Would, would you also say that you were quite defined with your roles and responsibilities within each sector of the business so that it was very clear that if it was in a particular sector, you could say, no, this is my call? Or, or, and did that happen straight away or did it very much, was that quite a learning curve? That and was that, a massive learning yeah, curve, yeah, yeah. dude. I, f- I um, thought it might be, yeah. At times, my dad was the accountant. At times, I was the accountant. At times, I was customer service, picker and packer, marketing, but, but, now, but, now that, but now it's much more defined. Very much so. But in the beginning, as with any business, when you have to take cuts, you have to take risks, you have to put in the hours, the hard work, the dedication. We didn't always have a team. We didn't always have a showroom. These are, this is six years down the line. I, we, we're, I'm speaking from a place of privilege because I've overcome that initial struggle and seen the better side of it. But those times were tough. I was still sitting here two months in and I hadn't had a sale but I'd been telling dad just open the website trust me and he's sitting there thinking it's two months I've literally just closed our final store come on it's a process of course trust the process yeah trust the process yeah so talk to us a bit about the sort of barriers to entry in general in the in the early days what what was what was a real difficult difficult breakthrough is there anything that you could sort of price point price point okay these shirts there's no corners cut on quality, 100% satin and cotton. The detail is evident in the buttonholes, the stitchings, the placket, the cuffs, the collar. They, in my dad's opinion, in his humble opinion, he believes they should be £120 retail. We've never changed our prices. It's always and, been... And just to clarify to the audience, it's, it's 90 It's 90 presently. Yeah. Um, we haven't ever changed our prices, but we've off, always offered incentives. We found that at £90, it was like an affordable luxury. It wasn't super super expensive but it's not cheap either it, so w- it was reachable in, in, correct in that sense, but when you're yeah. coming at it with i've got the best product on the market and people are like who are you that was the initial difficulty and that's why i feel like the windows to the world social media getting people to put eyes on the business helps reaffirm the quality the usps the different patterns and prints basically justifying w- just take a risk on this shirt yeah purchase it yeah 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 Feel the pattern, let us deliver it to you and see what happens. And initially, that was the barrier to entry, getting people things seen. But we could talk for days about SEO and search engine optimization when it comes to you're starting your brand. You want to create this shirt brand, but there's, it's a saturated market. Companies like Next and Zara already have a high position on Google when you type in shirts, but then that's not even their main product. So trying to align your business digitally in a place where it sits high on Google, where you've got good reviews on Trustpilot or reviews.co.uk, where you, um, you're halfway through typing Claudio and Lugli's predicted. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it ta- all of these things takes time. You and that must be a great thing to see, by the way, that, that evolution. In, in that small little bit there, like you said, the just, just seeing it sort of start to come up on Google quicker, if, on a personal level, that must, that must be amazing. 100%. 
there are times where um, companies can also piggyback off your, your business as well. I, I was wondering that. That was actually a question I was going to lead to. Uh, do you think there's many... Is copycat the right word? Or there's people definitely piggybacking for sure. And, and ha- don't obviously mention names unless you want to. But has that, since you've really sort of become a... Have a portion of the market that's, that's really solid... Have you seen that happen more and more? And is that in your six-year uh, journey, maybe the past two years that's really happened? Off camera, I'll show you ten examples. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, of fine. course, imitations of kindness form of flattery, right? But it at, is, at it the is. Same and, time, and it's going to happen either way, right? I think, I think a lot of people should expect that in their business if they do well regardless. At the same time, I love the fact that I can spot someone trying to emulate because we follow our own fashions. We design everything upstairs. We have two designers all of those original files would be on their computers alongside my father's. We know that that's a Claudio. So it's, um, it's, it's kind of cool to see that as well, you know? Um, I haven't been in an instance where I need to start getting, you know, the big guns involved and yeah, taking yeah, yeah. it somewhere completely different. It's just I've noticed ver- loads of different prints that are our own being emulated on other brands. Um, it's, it's bound to happen. Yeah, and it, and, yeah, and, and that's, um, that's a sign of growth. That's, that's a good thing to see. Like you um, said, it is, is flattery at the end of the day. Um, slightly segueing, I remember reading an article that said in 2014-15, you, you turned over about 70K in the first year. Um, and, and now, or at least within two years, that was, that was looking like the sort of turnover per month, if not more. I, don't, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't ask you to go into like heavy detail about the specific numbers, but... Tell us, tell us a bit more about that two-year financial growth in the sense of how shocking was it? Was there, was there a partic- particular moment where you had a massive boost or was it continually incremental all the time? And, and what do you put that down to aside from, well, I guess marketing is the main thing, but would you put it down to anything else as well? I told you early on, man, I really believe in how you treat the customers is going to be a reflection of your brand. If they believe in the business, if they can't wait for the next release, if, if you're promising them next day delivery, if you're promising them new garments, fresh looks, quality um, fabric, um, if your sizes and cuts don't change, if they kind of anticipate, I know what I'm going to get from my Claudio and I buy into that and I, bl- I buy into the mantra, you build brand loyalty. And we have a loyalty scheme for people that spend X amount and they get discounts off. I'm constantly trying to cultivate and look after this customer base because I constantly see repeat business from that year that you spoke of. Yeah. From that year you spoke of, I was introducing the brand to people for the first time. By five years later, they know who we are and they have the opportunity to go through a plethora of different products. Our output is crazy right now. It wasn't the case back in 2014-15. At the moment, we're releasing new products pretty much every two days. So there's something always exciting to look forward to, and we've pretty much mapped this out all the way through to next year. So I believe that we were able to turn non-believers into believers and be- get them into loyal customers and, and get them into multi-buying, because initially you're just buying one to, to see who this brand is. And now they're buying the matching shirt, the f- possibly the face mask, the waistcoat, the jacket combination. It's a, it's a way of... So that evolution of going from that individual purchase, I'll wear something fancy for a party. It's now people are buying into it so much, you now got more and more uh, regular customers and, and that's really Correct. a stable block with what's going on. Navid, when we, when we, uh, when I was researching you and the company as a whole, firstly, just 
congratulations on what you've done. I think it's incredible. Thank you, man. Um, but I would, I would wonder what it feels like, and, and if you could sum it up. When you look at, like, you, like we said, the sort of 70K per year turnover to where you are now, 300 stores UK-wide plus other potential options, could you sum up two points? I would say, could you sum up the journey? And as far as, like, what was it like? Could, is there a few words you could, you could use to describe it? And what's, what's the personal satisfaction on a business going from something that was an idea mm. or a basis of an idea to something so tangible that it is now? Yeah, man, I think that's an amazing question, man. Uh, I care and believe in this brand so much. Uh, I believe in my dad's vision. Ultimately, it's my dad's legacy project. I'm doing this for him. I want this business to be the best it can be because I very much believe in the passion and the time and effort that he's put into this business and the life that we were given, my, my brother and I. And I know that whilst I'm young, I've got the energy, I'm ready to, I'm raring to go, I'm going to put in the same amount of effort that he's done over the years because only now he's starting to see the true impact that his brand is having on, on, on the industry, on the way people view print, um, um, and the growth of Claudio. And, and, I th and I do this for our family and I do this uh, because I love it, man. I, I really believe in what I do. Um, you yourself have worked for companies that you believe in and you've stuck with for a long, long time through your loyalty because you believe in the, in, in the product and service. And, and very much so. To some extent, I'd agree with you on that, although, although there's been times where it's wavered, unfortunately. But the, fa but the fact that I now I'm creating something that I believe in so deeply is, is kind of why I asked the question and, that, and that's why I admire what, you, what you've done. Really. It's your baby. Uh, you want to cultivate it, you want it to grow and, and be the best it can be. Uh, the personal satisfaction I get is the, the journey itself has been such a life lesson and through the struggle I'm on a better side of it and I've learned so much along the way and I've met some incredible people and, and I've had so much positive affirmation it makes me realize we're doing the right thing. Every decision that we've made, every risk we took, it was the right decision because we're here today. And again, I'm in a very pri privileged place to be able to talk about that because we've, we've been through the struggle and we're on the better side of it. But well, that was a um, real slog for at least, at least, what, three, four years? Well, I think even before I got involved, my dad must have been going through his own personal turmoil thinking, what, am I, what's, what uh, step have I put, put wrong here? The product was great. It just so happened that the whole landscape had changed, but he just wasn't up to speed on that particular uh, transition onto the digital phase. But um, I, I get massive enjoyment coming in here. There's such a great energy in this office. I, I love working on the product, and I like marketing a product that I have so much belief in. That's kind of where the fire in the belly is. Um, and I, I'm thoroughly excited about what's to come. Life lessons you mentioned just before. This is always a part of entrepreneurship that really fascinates me. Now, I would personally say that half of the reason why I'm even doing this company is that I want people to gain life, life or worldly knowledge that will contribute to their overall output in life. Mm -hmm. um, and the, re the reason why I say that is because I learn online in particular and through podcasts and that sort of thing, really interesting about really interesting people, topics that really help contribute to what I'd say helps my life be more efficient, mm -hmm. which then in turn creates more ambition, and as a result then turns into what I'm trying to do now. Talk to me about your life lessons. Like, alongside the company, what, what stuff have you done? Obviously, a big one for me is always the simple things of get up at a good hour, exercise, 
uh, and alongside that reading and, and just gaining as much knowledge as possible. Uh, do you align with that and, and what any particular moments within the business and just for you in general? It's definitely important to be the first and last out. That for me is something I learned from my dad from a very, very young age. I have to and be uh, punctual. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but you mean as a business owner? Oh, I, oh yeah. 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 I, oh, as no, a, I, as in regardless, but you also would, would uh, put that on top of being a business owner. If, you're, definitely. if, you, if you own it, everyone's, everybody's got to see you more than anyone yeah, else. Uh, you, I'm still quite young, and I do have people in this office that are, are relatively older than myself, and I have to come in and show them that it's not just because I'm the boss's son. It's that I'm first in, I'm last out, and I will never ask you to do something that I wouldn't personally do myself. And you'll see me doing that. Yeah, well said. You know, very, that's, very well that's said. And, and that way you gain respect. And um, they all will, all, always know that I'm doing th- or, or asking you to do this for the greater good. You know, that is, it's, it's for a reason, it's for a purpose. Um, I, I do find it's important to... <laughs> sleeping is something I'm, I'm trying to get... It's you not know, as work out well. P- perfect your sleep science. <laughs> S- sorry, sleep I science is the wrong word. Perfect your sleeping pattern because you feel you, you get the best day out of it as a result. Uh, yes, because there's so much going on up here, whether it be work or your personal situation or when, you got, when you're a bit of a creative, there's so many different ideas that are bouncing around, it's tough to just get that pe- bit of peace. But if you're getting a good eight hours in, you're going to wake up fresh. And that's something that I've been trying to work towards. I'm currently between six and eight at the moment, but and I can tell the difference between... Six and seven, you know. Yeah, no, I'm. I'm There's with a big you. I'm difference. You if you get a good amount of sleep, you're switched on. Um, um, I, I feel like when it comes to entrepreneurship as well, it's very important. We talked about risk yep. uh, earlier, and, and I, I, I think educated risk is something that needs to be spoken about. Um, we can talk about uh, the speculation to get the accumulation, but it's you got to work within your means. Everything that I did wasn't crazy um, investments. It was it was smart investments, small investments to get a return first time round, maybe second time round, don't gamble. Take take uh, an educated risk could, with everything. Could you t- talk more specifics with that? Like sure. A, a, like a direct example, just to really illustrate to, to the viewer. And Everyone also. wants to take your money <laughs> when okay. you're a business. Yeah, yeah. As soon as you set up that business, that phone starts to ring. Hi, I'm a web developer. Hi, I'm an SEO company. Hi, I do Facebook ads. Hi, I do digital marketing. They want to offer their services. You have to play the game in some ways. In order to be on Google Shopping, you have to pay. In order to be uh, for search engine optimization, you have to pay to a certain extent. Facebook ads, Instagram ads, Twitter ads, these all involve investment. But you can't, as a small business starting up, just suddenly start paying for everything. Although it sounds good. When they're selling you that dream, PR companies selling me dreams, you know, it's something that you have to do your research, you have to be diligent, and, but you do have to play the game. When you say play the game, you're essentially saying spend money and really, and but what well, I guess in the starting process, spend money but really minimal amounts and understand what the true, true return is on that. Definitely. Look at the analytics. Speak to um, a Facebook agent or Instagram if you can and try to optimize the ads. Get them to help you. Because in essence, you're just, this is what I mean by the intangible things that you can't touch. You know, they suddenly, you've given off that investment and you're just now hoping for these stats to turn around. But you might have to tweak it three or four times to tap into that right demographic, the right audience at the right time. How is it working with your brother? Because obviously I know him. And I, just, yeah. I just wanted to know his interest because we obviously when we do this entrepreneur's experience series, it really touches on everything from the process of starting a business to 
the the journey and the experience that we've talked about a bit with you. And I know I know we mentioned the whole family business as a whole, yeah. but the sibling thing really interests me. Yeah, I'm actually going to speak to another business who who you know where their brother and sister work together. And right. I'm really excited about that. But tell tell me a bit about that. If my my brother is now 27 years old, right, and he came into the business I think around 23, 24. He had a lot to learn because he just come straight out of uni. This was his first job. So, which is very unusual, really. Yeah, isn't it? It, it took yeah. it took him a lot of time to adjust. But if I say to you, Mike, yeah, wouldn't you love to have another version of yourself? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wouldn't guess that's all. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great for you? Yeah, for I'm with you. I've got that. Yeah. Okay. In Omid, because and he, and, and he in, the sense, the in the sense in the sense of uh, the way you p- perceive things on a business level. We, we, yeah, we we have the same intentions for the business. We both have the same work ethic. We have. To we, we know why we're doing this, and um, we're on the and same and team. And then you can also team up on dad. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> if we need that extra investment, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there you go. It, it's good to have that partner in crime in the office, you know. Okay, yeah, we bump heads all the time, but it's good to have your right arm is another version of yourself. It's like me and him in the midfield, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we will put in the challenges. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one, of, one of you's defensive, one of you attacks. Yeah. Um, what do, what does what does your brother do within, within the company? And and obviously you are primarily marketing mm-hmm. and operations. Is that correct? Correct. Is, is he doing similar stuff? He's and you're working as a team, or does he, does he have a quite a different? He's role? very much the visual element. Okay. He, he will man the photo shoots. He would do the videos, um, as well as he's very good on the customer service side. Deals with the customers directly. Um, looks after pretty much all the customer service emails, as well as. Um, through the visuals that he creates, he does the newsletters, which is a very integral part of our business, h- how we de- communicate daily about our offers. And, and, and Considering the community that you are, you are creating at the moment. Okay. Exactly. So yeah. he, he would use the creatives to then uh, blast out newsletters would in turn uh, lead to sales. So uh, he's got an important role, but I think his best skills lie in, in, in the more visual mediums. And, and do you want him to grow into more your side and vice versa, or are you quite happy with with his sector at the moment. The reason why I ask that, by the way, is because I, I, don't know what, I don't know what the general plan is in the sense of do you eventually, obviously your dad will always design and tailor, but do you, would you personally, for the sake of them, maybe, I don't know, moving abroad or whatever it may be, do you want them to drop off a bit? Therefore, does he have to uh, start to learn new skills as well to, yes. to, to, for his repertoire? Yeah, it's really, again, a great question. So where's Omid right now? He's not in the showroom. He's actually in Istanbul. Which so is where your factory is. Right. So okay. he's taking this time, these two weeks, to go visit my dad and mum. And um, he's honing his skills. My dad's taking him to the factories, giving him an, an experience that one day one of you will need to be in and amongst it because he can't do this forever. So Omid or I will have to be in the factories, touching and feeling the fabrics, doing the quality assurance, making sure we are getting the right product out every time. And, and you feel his skills align with that creative aspect? I feel like because of the operational side, on a day-to-day level, there's too much on for me to take on that responsibility of carrying that torch. And I think Omid, with his creative mind on the visual side, I think that that skill could be very much transferable. Uh, and he's got a good um, feature. Okay. When you're in it, it must be so hard to, to actually step back, look almost like a bird's-eye view, yeah. and re- really, really view, like understand what you've done and achieved. And for me, when I'm doing this and I'm speaking to my friends about it, I really, you know, admire what you've done and the other people I've spoken to. But 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 
I can imagine for you guys, it's just you rarely get a chance to you do that. You very rarely get to stop and just be thankful or grateful for what you have actually achieved. It's it, it, Because it's constantly, even with fashion, and you know, you're constantly working six months ahead. You're working on the next season and the next project and the next idea. So it's very rare that when you're in this environment, you actually stop and think, this is what we've achieved. You just feel like, again, that's part of the process. We're putting in so much time, effort, and dedication that this has to be the reason why this is the direction we're going. Because and that tangibility factor, mm. I guess, is I guess is huge. But you don't. You, sometimes you can't even get that because you're just you're just. You, where where do you get time to look? <laughs> and that's why I think small little luxuries like I don't even know if they would want me to say this on on podcast. But my parents have actually left the UK by accident. Mm. They went on holiday to Turkey. All right, my dad might wanted to mix a bit of business and pleasure while mom was chilling out, but they got locked in during the pandemic. Mm. They've been in Turkey since because they got locked in. They had to apply for uh, a short-term residency. They've been there for six months. They absolutely love it there. They're partying. They're in the sun. They're loving life. They're having a second wind, and I'm like, I'm so happier to see that because all I ever saw was... I want to ask you a question that I hope is not too invasive, and if you could touch on it, it'd be great. The the point of taking on a family business and... Some people will say, well, that's easy. Or, you know, it's easy for you to say. I'd firstly clarify that this is genuinely a new business from six years ago. Mm -hmm. You just have a background of, your family had a background in fashion. Is is that correct? Sure. And then the second thing I would sort of point to, and I'd just love to get your your, uh, interpretation of it. I struggle sometimes with the concept of people going, oh, you've had it easy or not. Because whether that's something at the back of, you know, a, a mental issue or just the general fact that everybody has their own struggles. Mm. When someone says you had it, you had it easy because you know you took on y- your daddy's business or whatever, uh, that that really bugs me. So I just want to know, know: Do you have any thoughts to that? And, w- and anyone who suggests that, what would be your counter counter to that? I don't play with cheat codes when I play games, so I don't like it easy. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> very well said. <laughs> Basically, very well said. Um, no, I started with zero. So I started with zero followers. Zero online sales, zero, zero, everything, apart from an amazing product. The cheat code was the product. I had the ammunition to fire. Well, arguably, arguably, anyone can come across something like this. Sure. So, okay. so, so you are starting from scratch, and I think that's, that's, that would be my point to, in a, in a, in a sort of applauding you, is that, is that you, you, for me, from what I know, you really were starting from scratch. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I would... Who is anyone to say anything about that type of, type of situation to say you've got it easy? They don't know. Um, I definitely haven't had it easy. I wish I, you know, I wish I had it easy. That'd be cool. But no, I, I've learned this way. I am built this way because I didn't have it easy because my dad didn't have it easy. So um, I hope things get easier, <laughs> 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 and I get to go to Turkey for two weeks. But um, the best way you can learn is through failure and learning from your mistakes. Try not to make the same mistakes twice, but through failure and rejection and having to re-strategize and go again, that's the way you're going to learn, and I find that's the way we did it. Um, there wasn't always great months of sales, you know? You have to generate it. You ha- like I said earlier, you have to go out and get it, and I don't mean it like literally step out and go do something. I mean, whatever it is, even if it's talking to women, you have to go out and do it. They're not going to come to you. They're not just going to come find your website out the blue how are you going to draw them in it's never you, an e- it's never an easy ride easy, essentially if you if you're given the keys to the city right you still have to run the city 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, okay, let's say I walk into this situation. I've got 350 active stores. I've got a great collection here. I've got the social media and then a good loyal customer base. How I have to retain that. That's still on me. That's still my responsibility. So some people are fortunate and lucky to f- walk into certain positions, but they still have to then perform, you know? And obviously your father or your parents in, in general were particularly tough on you, so it, you had no choice but to, to, to grow after, really. 100%. Um, I think we're done there, so I just want to end with three questions in particular. Do you have, and this touches on the life lessons and, and what you need to do in your day to really have a good output, do you have an ideal morning routine that, that you go by day by day? And I, the reason why I ask that is I'm sure any aspiring entrepreneur would love to know how you start your day that maybe gives you a lift. Wake up early. Go have a shower, listen to some good music, get into the vibe, get into the zone, and come in here and give it your all. That's literally me every single day. Even if I'm having a bad day, that's the same routine I have, and I come in here with positive intentions, and I start the day fresh. Leave your work behind when you go home. Do not carry that stuff with you. I decompartmentalize so well. Doesn't matter how bad I'm having a day, I'm not going to take that out on you, Mike. Like You ain't even going to see me sweat. But I have to deal with that the next day. But I, I try and come in and treat as a fresh day. So much positivity, so much optimism. The opportunity's there. Today we can make a million. You never know. That's, uh, that's very well said. Uh, the other two questions I would like to ask is, any particular favorite books, maybe in a business sense, that, re- that really helped you? Any, anything that stands out? And, and aligned with that question, the second one would be, just out of interest, do you have any particular business idols that really helped inspire you forward or at least you saw parallels that were very informative for you when on your business journey? In terms of the... I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I watch a lot of videos. I don't read as much as I'd like to, but um, I did read The Secret way back and I realised, oh, I'm doing that without even noticing. You know, putting out those positive affirmations with the intention, if you, like, if you speak it, believe it, and then you in turn will receive it. But it's not as simple as I'll just sit here, say it, and it's going to happen. You then have to go out and do it. But I like the fact that it made me realize to unlock that side even more. Yeah, so, so you felt you were doing it anyway, and then you had that assurance by, yeah. by, by gaining the knowledge. I feel like it just gave me that sort of reassurance that, okay. And they kind of gave you lots of examples of different entrepreneurs that had read the book and it had affected them and how they were applying secret but yeah it's, it's, it's an interesting read it might not be for everyone but it, it, it made me think twice about it okay and, um, and, th- and then business idols do you uh, is i mean so idols is maybe not the right word but any, any real in business inspiration with regards to people i'm not gonna say people i'm gonna say um, I, I say brands and ideas right i quite like the fact that um i did my dissertation back at uni about the creative destruction of the music industry how you went from vinyl to cassette to CD to MP3. The previous generation of product or service was destroyed, but then created through the destru- destruction. You see black cabs are now Ubers. You see rentals are now Airbnbs. I like the whole technological evolution, and I like the way certain businesses like Amazon, Uber, um, Airbnb, I like the way that they caught on to that, because we were all sitting there thinking, bro, I could have done that. Yeah, you know. Yeah, how, yeah. How many times have you had that conversa- you know what I mean? conversation? So I kind of like. I was, I was onto this. I, I knew it was going to happen. Um, Deliveroo. That Deliveroo. Type of, I like, I like those things. I, I, I kind of, I respect the okay. innovational side of it. Okay. 
right, well, on, on that point, Navid, very, thank you very much for doing this with me. I really, really appreciate it. Steve, thank um, you for having me. Uh, congratulations on everything that you're doing. Appreciate you. And uh, guys, thank you for another episode of The Entrepreneur's Experience. I can't give you some love, bro. <laughs> <laughs>